0: Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Sarah Allen. She is a pediatric neuropsychologist, a parent coach, and an author. How are you doing this morning, Sarah?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I appreciate you taking the time and welcome to the Empowerography community.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So as I mentioned, you're a pediatrics, uh, neuropsychologist, a parent coach, an author. You're also a doctoral professor, a school program consultant. You're known as America's brain gal. And last but certainly not least, you're a mother. Where on earth do you find the time to wear all these hats <laughs> you wear?
1: <laughs> you know, when you say it all in a line like that, it does sound like
0: it amount. does. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sure just like many moms out there, many women out there, we wear tons of hats. I think you don't even realize how many you have until someone reads them back to you.
0: Yeah, like no that. kidding.
1: But yeah, you know, I think it's, I I don't like doing the same thing all the time, you know? So I really enjoy doing a lot of different kinds of things and using my skills in different kinds of ways. And it just kind of all landed on the plate at the same time, I guess.
0: <laughs> how did you get labeled as America's brain gal and who gave you that title? <laughs>
1: So, you know, if you go to a cocktail party, let's say as a neuropsychologist and someone says, what do you do? You say, oh, I, I'm a neuropsychologist. They say, oh, you're a nurse. My, my sister's a nurse. And you say, no, I'm, I'm not a nurse. I'm a neuropsychologist. And then they don't really understand. So finally, I just started saying I'm a brain gal. You know, and they're, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And then, of course, you'll get the, tell me what I'm thinking. Or what am I? You know what's happening, and I, you know, sometimes you can have some fun with them. And yeah, I'm sure you should think that. I don't know. I don't know if I should say that out loud. But you know, after (laughs) you get over over that hump, and they think you're a mind reader and all these kinds of things, you can finally just tell them, "No, I just do brain behavior relationships, and I, you know, work in school." So the brain gal was kind of born from that, where finally just giving up and saying, "I'm just, I'm a brain gal."
0: From a cocktail party. I love it
1: from a cocktail party.
0: (laughs) And I love, (laughs) we used to
1: do those anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love that. You can have fun with them though. And just string them along and, and kind of make light of what they're saying.
1: Well, I mean, it's, you look at that question. How can you yes. not have fun with that? <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, absolutely. That's there. There's a, that's a perfect opportunity.
1: <laughs> yeah. They gave it to you in you know, a little softball. You got to hit it out of the park. I feel that's
0: like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You can't not hit that one out of the park.
1: But yeah, by the way, that's a reference for my daughter. Cause I don't actually, I don't actually have good hand-eye coordination. My daughter does. She plays softball. So she'll be really proud of me for making that. Reference.
0: I love it. That's awesome. So what inspired you to go into the line of work as a pediatric neuropsychologist?
1: I think some of it was just following opportunities and some of it's interest. I've always been interested in what makes people tick, why people do things. And then just when I was in college, I had the opportunity. I went to Drexel university, which has a co-op program. You work six months, you go to school six months, and it really gets you to apply what you're learning. So Mm -hmm. as I was taking psychology courses, I ended up in a brain injury rehab center for adults actually. And I was just fascinated by the changes that we were seeing in people, you know, people who are in inner cities and had injuries that just changed their personalities sometimes for the better. And then other people who were really struggling because of injuries from, for other reasons and just the way that, that the, the brain injuries looked how they recovered. And from there, I went to a pediatric rehab setting, just again, following an opportunity. One of the people who'd run the adult rehab was now overworking with kids. Mm -hmm. And I realized on that rehab floor just how moldable a kid's brain is and how it changes during the course of development in general. And adds kind of a, another layer of complexity, but simplicity at the same time. Right. And I decided I really, really enjoyed working in that field. And then I just continued to follow that path of brain injury rehab and then into schools eventually and watching the way that kids' brains grow and develop and how, much of an opportunity you have to shape the course of the way that little brain is built. And it just fascinated me. And I just continued on that path.
0: Okay. Now how long have you been working as a pediatric neuropsychologist?
1: Oh gosh. You know, I I've studied brain science for over 15 plus years. I've probably, I guess, over 10 years, 10, 15 years now in the field itself. And I've just recently shifted to doing recently within the last five years, I guess I should say doing specifically parent coaching. I think having born from my, my experience and my journey as a parent as well, and shifting from doing schoolwork to, to being able to help the brains that at home. So it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey, actually.
0: I'm sure. What excites or inspires you the most about the work that you do?
1: The, the change, the impact you can have, I just find it absolutely fascinating and inspiring to watch a little brain grow and to watch these kids build skills and apply the things that you're teaching them. I'm sure teachers have this feeling all the time in their classrooms when, especially in the younger ages, when you can watch a kid mature throughout the year in kind of a more objective way, but to really watch and be able to shape how a child is going to develop into an adult can be overwhelming in terms of the pressure at times of that and the the magnitude of your, your opportunity there, but also such an incredible inspiration there too.
0: So as you mentioned the pressure, how do you deal with that pressure? What do you do to deal with that?
1: Well, you know, I think for me, it's a matter of balance. You know, it's a matter of balancing communication, having the chance to be able to step back and look at things a little more objectively, take some time and step back and say, okay, how are these little brains growing right now? And what do they need for me? And what do I need to give myself? So I can be a whole, a whole Mm -hmm. brain for their brain. Yeah, Um, And then also being able to teach communication and model communication about what your needs are and what, you know, your intention is, I think that that's been probably one of the most valuable tools that I have as a parent, as a, and as a professional,
0: what would you say is the most challenging part of your career?
1: I think the most challenging part is, you know, in my day-to-day practice, I work with a lot of families who are just trying to understand their children. And some of them are just coming to grips for the first time that something's going on with their kids. And so to really be able to go and meet those parents where they are and help to bring them along in a process that I'm so familiar with can be a little bit challenging at times. You know, you have some parents who are ready to take that journey with you and some parents who need to go through kind of a grieving, angry process in order to be able to get to the other side of that. And you learn as you become a professional and the more experience that you have, that sometimes those reactions are not about you and it, you just kind of have to be there and offer to be there in the future and that you can't fix everything for everyone right away. Sometimes you have to give them that space to be able to come to that on their own. And that can be the most difficult when you know, what's best for our kid but you you can't get the movement that you want at that particular moment.
0: What do you find that you've had to deal with more the parents that are more resistant and and struggling with dealing with it or that are there and come along with you for the ride in your experience?
1: I think I'm really lucky, you know, 95% will come with me. Wow. I think I have the benefit of really being able to create a really good solid relationship with most families and to really be able to have them understand that I'm here for you and I'm here for your kid. I'm always saying I'm a kid person, you know, I yeah. I want what's best for that child. And by using the communication skills that I've learned, not just through my professional career, but through my personal career yeah. with my kids and everything, I've been able to get them there. There's just that five percent of people, and maybe not at my speed because I like efficiency. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I like to move quick, but I maybe have to slow down at times, but other than that, I really do get lucky. There's just really that 5% that are going through a process all on their own and likely from the way that their little brains were raised and the, right. the baggage that they have from growing up themselves. And so you just kind of have to respect that in them, but I'm, I'm pretty lucky right now. Now I um, just developed a new parent course and that's going out a little more nationally. And so there's a different, you open yourself up and you're kind of a little more vulnerable there and yeah. you, your, the relationships are a little bit different. So I might expect that percentage to change a bit over time. But for right now, I've been, I've been very lucky.
0: That's amazing. Uh, you also, you help parents and teachers efficiently and effectively learn to look at their kids as little brains. So they're able to raise connected and successful humans. Why is this so personally important to you?
1: I've had a lot of, I guess, what we will eventually call tragedies in my life. But again, one of those things that you don't realize until you put all down on paper, because it's just kind of been your experience. But as I sat down to write my book, Raising Brains, I did put it all down on paper. And I realized that one of the most important things for kids in the end, when they become adults is happiness. For myself, I realized that. For my children, I realized that. And the road to happiness is really to have good coping and adaptive skills and to be able to work through the hard times as well as you can work through the good times. So I became really passionate about this through some of the experiences that I've had. And Mm -hmm. I really, I really wanted to make sure I could help other families recognize the teachable moments that they're having on a day-to-day basis and the ways that they can impact those little brains in a positive way. So that when you get to something like a pandemic and the world shuts down and your life was going in one direction and now it's suddenly going in another, that we can use that opportunity to teach our kids how to be happy and successful instead of how to have mental health issues and really struggle and sit in that. And so that became very important when you kind of look at the pandemic and those kinds of things that it happens. But these things happen all the time. Bad things happen. We can't save our kids from bad things. But we can really help them develop these skills so that they don't become a middle-aged adult who decides that they hate their job as a lawyer working 100 hours a week and they, you know, cut off and go to a deserted island somewhere somewhere you know, so they can live all by themselves naked, you know, unless that's their passion. I always say, if it's your passion, go for it, but we want them to do it because it makes them happy. Not because it's the default coping mechanism. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. So have you seen an uptick then in kids coming in? Definitely because of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've, you know, we've seen a significant increase in mental health issues. Even if you look at the literature, we've seen increases in suicidal ideation and in emergency room visits for mental health concerns, And I think it really highlights the issue that I saw happening before all of this, which is just that we need to develop these coping skills. These are not skills we're born with, they're learned skills. And we need to use our understanding of ourselves and help our kids gain understandings of themselves so that they can be able to put that together, use what I call a growth mindset approach and really work towards bettering themselves on a day-to-day basis and managing things when they get thrown their way, like they did with the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of techniques and ideology and whatnot, can you discuss a couple of the techniques you use and teach parents and teachers to implement to help their children?
1: Absolutely. I really like to start with some theory. And the reason I like to start with that is because when you understand what you're trying to do, then when your children break the rule that I give you. So I always say, if I were to give you 10 rules, your kids would break the first nine, the first 10 minutes. (laughs) And so it's really not helpful to tell you when this happens, do this, when this happens, do that, because the whens change all the time, the styles change, the kids are different. So really what it comes down to is thinking about your kid, like a little brain and thinking, what does this little brain need to learn And what can I teach this little brain? And when you, when you approach things from that perspective, things shift for you a bit. So instead of seeing a kid being oppositional or screaming and yelling, as they walk down the stairs, you might see a kid who's really struggling with a friendship right now and doesn't know how to express what's happening with them. Or even maybe they don't know how to identify what that emotion is in the first place. They just don't like it. And they need to lash out and they don't feel good. And as you start to do that you really start to see where you can be helpful to them. You can say to them, I understand you're upset, but screaming and yelling at me isn't the way to go about it. What's happening with you? Yeah, And you start to ask those questions, things completely change your relationship, change with your kids, and you can start to pinpoint and identify what skill that that child needs to learn at that moment that is going to help them develop these skills in the future.
0: What is the age range of the children that you work with?
1: Oh geez, I work with children from two all the way up through their twenties, and honestly, oh, wow. I've even started working with with adults with children <laughs> at this point. You know, I think the the sweet spot for my little brain master parenting program is about two to fifteen. Okay, um, you know these these that's the thing about these things. I always say we we kind of practice what we preach, so we work on moms as individuals, as much as we work on kids, the the strategies are I use them. They're appropriate for everybody. Sometimes I sit here and think, what does my little brain need to learn? What do I need (laughs) to teach my little brain? And it's just effective in really getting, you know, the part of the the concept is a growth mindset approach. You want to think about where Are things going really well? I like glow and grow charts. They're my favorite. So where are you glowing? Where are you just really rocking life? And where do you need to grow? And if you're constantly having that mindset, you're thinking about the top three things you need to work on and your kids need to work on that becomes a team process. So the whole family is working on that. So this is something we're all going through. These are life skills. And so they really span the ages. It just the topics or the skills might shift a bit, but you'd be surprised how many similarities there are. They're just levels of the same thing.
0: And what kinds of issues, for lack of a better term, do you see these children or kids coming in to see you with?
1: So my private practice, I see all sorts of kids. I see kids with autism and ADHD and anxiety and epilepsy and everything in between. But when it comes to parent coaching, it's one of my favorite things to do because There really are only a handful of, of issues that kids tend to struggle with. They might struggle. They might be in a little inattentive or hyperactive or something like that, but the areas are really communication, emotion management, and then yes, behavior, but I see kids speak with their behavior. So when you're seeing behavior problems in your house, a lot of times it has to do with a skill that these kids need to build, not that they're being oppositional and having behavior problems. And although a lot of what I do is talking about behavior problems, because I think that's where people are, right? We have to meet them where people are. What I would love people to start to realize is that behavior management is a smushing thing for kids. It really does just kind of squash kids down. We can use those techniques, but we need to use behavioral techniques in a way that starts to build skills. And so when people start sticker charts and they get so upset because they're not working, it's because these behavioral uh, tools tend to jumpstart skill building but they don't teach anything they don't teach things they just reinforce things so we really right. have to we miss a piece sometimes there and so when you start to think about your kid like a little brain you start to look at these can do they how are they managing their emotions emotions are such a huge thing to tackle i mean we as adults are consistently trying i was to just going to say it's
0: it's difficult for most adults never mind kids
1: Exactly. And so, you know, think about that as a little kid who is, I often talk about my son who had so much difficulty controlling his. Emotion. I say, you know, he's a passionate spirited little boy who has got a lot of feeling in him and we don't want to smush that feeling is good. We just want to help him contain that a little bit. And as a little kid, having all of that feeling, it comes out in flailing arms and running and yelling and kicking and screaming. And it took years to be able to use these, these tools that I'm talking about today to help him build up his emotion management. So he needed to learn what he was feeling first identify that feeling he then learn what his body felt like when that was happening and then he can work on using some tools to manage his emotion you know he's 9 now and he's mm-hmm. he's really probably has the emotional intelligence of a much much older person because right. he's had to work so hard at it
0: yeah now speaking of of your own children how hard or easy is it for you to implement your teachings like techniques with your own children
1: Oh gosh, it's awful. Right. Because, and you know, there, it's not that I don't, you know, I think I have a little head start here and I always say this to parents, you know, I have a head start here because I've studied the brain. Like I said, 15 plus years, I have this program written it down. I teach it. That makes me very good at those skills. And yet it's still hard with my kids. And it's because you know, I'd like to personify parts of the brain. So you have an amygdala. I call her Amy G. So emotional that, <laughs> that chick, it. right. I picture her like, pro- kind of like my 11 year old, like a, like a teenager, like moody and grubby all the time could go yeah. anyway at any point. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the frontal lobe Franny, who's kind of like, <laughs> you know, like a, a, an older, you know, seasons kind of professional knows what yeah. she's doing, keeping the whole ship together. Right. So Amy mm-hmm. G and Franny are the ones that run this entire thing. So your kids are real good. Your own kids, my own kids are really Mm -hmm. good at provoking Amy G and Franny can only do so much, Mm -hmm. right? So these tools Mm -hmm. are very, very helpful. But when you have your own kids who are getting every button that you have, and (laughs) I always say, you know, we're passionate about our kids and kids are passionate about pushing our buttons. Yes. You know, your Amy G's are going to flail more. And so I need what I call the dream team. I need people in my corner. I need to step back and think about what's happening and take my breaths and use all my skills even more with my kids. So, you know, as awesome as it is to have that background and be able to help people like my son, you know, be able to help him build that emotion, you know, with my daughter, especially, you know, I have to step back a lot, you know, we butt heads a lot and we have to really work really, really hard at making sure our relationship is solid and that I am helping to raise her little brain in the right way. And she just doing her job of pushing back and, <laughs> and, and pulling for independence and all of those things. Yeah. And you know, we really have to work on keeping our relationship good while still parenting. It still allowing me to be the mom and her to be the daughter. And, you know, those are not easy. You know, people think this is easy. They want it to be easy and it is not. And anyone who tells you that it's easy is completely just lying because it's not.
0: <laughs> no, parenting is the toughest job in the world. I mean, kids don't come with a manual. Mm-mm. We have to, I mean, yes, we have we can look at our relationship with our parents and pull different things from that to help us but other than that it's like you're learning on the fly you're yep. just figuring it out as you go it is definitely tough it is it uh, without a doubt the toughest job in the world being a parent
1: Yeah. And there are tools that you can use that will make that day to day a lot smoother and a lot easier, but it's not going to be all rainbows and sunshine all the time. You know, the tools are really used to help to manage the things as, as they come up, not avoid them coming up at all. And, you know, that's actually how the parenting program was born is because I'd written this book and it was kind of, I always say it's a, it's a type of parent manual. It's to help you develop your own parent manual, but the manual doesn't say a plus B equals C and do one, two, three. It doesn't. And say that, you know, it helps you to have all these skills you need that to apply to all these different situations that come up and to help make a plan. I found it helpful for me. You know, when we go to work, we mm-hmm. have goals and objectives that we want to meet, but we don't tend to apply that to parenting. Yeah, And so once I kind of use that structure in my household and I've started using that with my clients, it really helped to give a framework on what you're doing day to day and what your goals are day to day. And that helps keep that Amy G at bay. That helps Amy G take that breath because you know what you're doing and you're feeling confident about it. But the parenting program was created because the book almost wasn't enough to be able to, what do I do? How do I apply this to me? How do I apply this to my kid and get, and give me this training? And people were asking for that. And that's how that was born too, just to kind of give that training so that you do feel that, that confident mom again. Yeah.
0: Now, you briefly alluded to you've had some personal struggles along your journey. Can you talk to us a bit about those personal struggles, if you don't mind?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was in the process of starting my family, I actually lost three children. So I was pregnant with my first son and went into labor about 24 weeks and he lived about an hour. And at that point I was so young. I honestly didn't even really understand what was happening. I was again, life moving in one direction and suddenly takes you in another. And shortly after that, I got pregnant with twins kind of mm-hmm. randomly. And eventually the same thing happened. Oh I lost gosh. my second son and a few days later, my third son and again, all only lived about an hour. And so you know, when it happens the first time, I think it, it is a gut shot, but yeah. you know, with my personality, it's like, all right, that didn't work. Let's keep moving. And then when it happens the second time, and especially the second time I had, um, I had a transfusion, it was really difficult delivery. And so it was a much more medically complicated event for me. I was okay. forced to kind of sit in the house after that for a few weeks. Right. I couldn't keep moving as much. So th- that second time is much harder. And, you know, I eventually, Was able to pick myself back up, get some extra opinions, and luckily, I I feel extremely lucky to have had both my daughter and then Mm -hmm. my son. Probably good thing I lost three boys, so I had a daughter in between, which I think actually was really helpful in terms of coping. Yeah, and then my son, and then you know, as my son grew up, as wonderful and as much of a mama's boy as he is, you know, having so much trouble controlling his emotions was a was a really difficult thing for all of us. And I remember distinctly standing in the kitchen, we were at the beach and we're standing in the kitchen. I just carried Carter from the beach and sat on him in a room until his body calmed down because Mm -hmm. he just couldn't control it. And, you know, he's out, didn't sleep as well. New place, all of those kinds of things that doesn't help. And I am crying. And my mom said, I think you should take him to see someone. And I looked at her and I said, I'm the one he's supposed to see. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't know what to do. It's that it's really hard to do it. You know, and I think that, you know, looking back, that was one of the times that really was poignant in creating these kinds of programs. And then, you know, my mother shortly after that battled cancer, the first, oh second time, she gosh. already battled cancer her first time. And then my sister in 2017 was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 28. Oh, and at the age of 29, she died and I'm actually, so sorry. Yeah, actually her anniversary is August 11th. So, you know, this has brought up so many different things for us. And it was Mm -hmm. one of the first times that I had to help my children cope and go through something as I was going through it. You know, when I lost my kids, that was difficult and we worked through that, but I didn't have my own children to have to parent at the same time. And when my, their aunt Nana died, I had to manage my own emotions and model what that was like for them while also helping them go through it. And you know, that really tests your ability to parent. It tests your ability to cope and really shows the benefit of working together as a team because I could say to them, I'm sad, but I am going to feel better. Mm -hmm. I'm just sad right now and being sad right now is okay. And this is what we do when we're sad.
0: I can't I can't even imagine because you're trying to deal with your own grief because you've lost your sister, but then also having to console your kids because they've lost their aunt. It's, it's so tough when a family member passes and you've got children that you have to help through that process, but also at the same time, help yourself through that process of dealing with it too.
1: Yeah, you know, and my style of going through things is to kind of watch it as it's happening at the same time. Just that's the psychologist in me, the inter- interested in how the brain works and how we go through these things. And so, you know, I could watch myself having to to make sure that I was modeling this in a good way. There are times that you lose it and you can't get it back. Those are the times that you that you want to kind of keep at bay if you can, but it's okay to lose it. You know, I remember I was Crying on the floor, my, uh, my very best friends, we were actually planning a shore trip anyway. So we went down to the shore and, you know, they were just there and they just, you know, helped. I didn't have to worry about what was going to happen with the kids and the food and stuff. They would just make sure of those things, but we could be together, which was right. a really, I didn't realize, I don't think at the time, how powerful that week was for us. But at one point I was, you know, I'd broken down I'd just gotten off the phone with my family and was crying and sitting on the floor of my room and my son came in and he, he said, mommy, are you okay? And I just said, I'm just sad. Carter's just really, really hard right now. And he said, okay, I see you're sad. I know what to do. I'm going to get Aunt Mamie. She can help you. And I could <laughs> hear him pitter patter <laughs> out to the kitchen. And he looked at my best friend, Amy, and he said, "Aunt," and he calls her Aunt Mamie because yeah. he didn't say Amy at the time. <laughs> he said, Aunt Mamie, my mommy is very sad and I think that you can help Chioho up. So can you go in now and help her? And he said, oh, she said, oh, Carter, I'm so proud of you for coming to get some help for your mom. That was a very sweet thing to do. I'll take care of you. He says, okay. And he just runs (laughs) off, knows he took care of it. And, you know, she came in and we sat and
0: Amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it just goes to show, you know, that's a kid who's been working on his emotions for yeah. a really long time. He knows that they get out of hand. Sometimes you need to get them back. He didn't worry about me. He wasn't thinking, oh no, my mother's never going to get it back. He took care of the problem. <laughs> he moved that
0: on. is awesome. That speaks volumes and is a huge testament to who you are as a mother well, and, it's, and teaching your kids. I think that's absolutely incredible. What an amazing job you've done.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much. You know, Carter and I have this we've been able to come out of it with this relationship where he would say, you know, mom, you helped me learn how to, how to control my anger. And I said, no, you learned how to control your anger. And that's truly how we both feel about it. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a kid who just worked really, really, really hard and watches me and helps me at the same time, you know, work through those things. You know, he was even the one that has decided we were in the car and, and, you know, it goes, it speaks to how kids cope. You know, I often tell parents, tell kids at a very basic level what happened and then follow their questions because they often don't go where you go. So I yeah. thought my kids were going to think, oh, their moms are going to die. You know, everyone's going to die around them. They're going to get sick and everything's going to be, they never made that leap. Mm-hmm. You know, my son instead was like, mom, I don't like thinking about the sad parts all the time. So I think I'm just going to think about the happy parts with aunt Nana and not think <laughs> about the sad parts. And he said, I think aunt Nana is playing with my brothers. <laughs> That's what she's doing.
0: That is phenomenal. Again, it I- just, it's a huge <laughs> testament to you.
1: Well, you know, and his little brain is so fun to listen to. And I just looked at him and I just said, you know, I don't know what I believe, you know, but I like to believe that. I think I'm going to yeah. pick that one right now.
0: <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Amazing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we went through that together and that was a, a tough thing, but, you know, it, it still comes up. That grief process is such an interesting process. I was just talking with some friends about that, about how, you know, the first year was almost easier than the second and the third yeah. and the fourth year. You know, it comes up in different ways. And, you know, my daughter was very close to her Aunt Nana. And so now that she's getting older and getting to like a lot of the same things Aunt Nana Mm -hmm. liked and did, you know, she'll sometimes get sad about it now too in a different way. And so, you know, that process is, is, is always one we're working on. But then right before the pandemic, after my sister died, And probably because there was the emotional energy to handle it all, you know, I got divorced and so we moved to a new town and then the world shut down a few months later. So my kids started school in September and the world shut down in March. And as difficult as that was, I guess, maybe a blessing on some level or an opportunity to have learned coping skills. You know, my kids had developed a lot of those. They knew a lot more than other kids their age about, you know, the things changing so quickly. And so- they were able, I think, to manage that situation a lot longer than mm-hmm. most. you know My daughter still had some trouble towards the end of just kind of never having really grounded and found her place, but you know she really was able to to manage that for a much longer period of time.
0: Well, I mean, listen, look at all the adults who who had and are still having problems dealing with what the world has gone through. so for kids, it's probably tenfold twenty fold for them. So, I mean, we're, I think we're learning from each other. We all, we're all going through it and we all deal with it differently. So we have to give ourselves some space and time, right?
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: How have these personal struggles or experiences helped shape the Sarah you are both personally and professionally?
1: You know, I think that that goal of teaching adaptive and coping skills for kids, the understanding of the opportunity you have to shape a kid's life, but also the understanding that life can be short. You know, we're not always waiting to get to that next 10 years, that next five years it's now, you know, so we need to live life happy now. And when you think about what success means and defining that it becomes much different when you think about living in the moment and living for the day. And I don't mean go buck crazy and go travel the world and leave all your responsibilities behind. But just to be able to make sure that you are trying to be your true self and be happy in what you have at that moment, as you're trying to reach your next goals has become really, really important to me. And I think that's kind of shaped my personal and professional career. Definitely went into writing the book and making sure that I could get all of these things out to try to encourage other moms to really focus on those things. But also when it comes to shaping myself as a, as a person, I moved on to making myself happy and connected to the people around me, you know, now, and with a divorce, you know, that's obviously going to uproot everybody. And You know, I always say kids speak with their behavior. My kids spoke with their behavior a lot during that time, but we worked through that and we worked through that as a family and, you know, my kids and I got closer in the end and we are in a really great space now. And I don't think the idea of waiting for this point, wait till the kids get older, wait till this happens. It is a good one. You know, I think that the best thing to do is to shift up things that aren't working at that moment and model for your children that different kinds of relationships. You know, I don't want my kids to grow up and think this is the way a relationship is going to be when they could have something else.
0: Right. Now, great segue into the book. You are an international bestselling author with the award-winning book, Raising Brains. Can you tell us a bit more about the book and when it came out?
1: Yeah. The book came out actually, I think it was in May at this point. I don't even think the press release uh, formally came out yet, but i was so excited to do it. And it was born from all of these things we've talked about all of these experiences in my life and recognizing that as I was having parents come into my office and talk about, they want their kids to be successful. And as I watched adults during the pandemic, Shift up their lives. So many people shifted up their lives, quit their jobs, changed the nature of what was happening for them because they slowed down for a reason and realized they weren't happy or that they needed something to fulfill themselves. And it wasn't typically a monetary goal, it was typically about connection and about really figuring out what you want and going to get whatever it is that you want. And that's how raising brains came about for me. A lot of my schoolwork shut down during that pandemic time. And I told you I like to do a lot of different things anyway. So I was kind of thinking, you know, what is the most important thing? How can I give back in the world? You know, I'm I'm not a frontline worker. I can't go into these hospitals and, and help people get better. But what could I give back to the world that what would my skill set would be helpful? And what could I do? And this is where. Raising brains came from is I wanted to give this information that was so valuable to me and my clients out to as many people as I could reach in the world because I truly believe that when we shift our goals, instead of defining success as, you know, these three jobs, doctor, right. lawyer, lots of money, that we really define it as knowing yourself and being happy and connected with who you are. I mean, think about what that would be like if, if our generation had had those opportunities, we, we we would have a totally different space. And again, when you look at the increase in mental health issues, both in adults and kids over the course of this time, it really tells you there was something that needed to happen
0: for sure. Sarah, to date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win?
1: Well, having my kids would be mine. I worked really, really hard to get to that point. There was the point at which I was worried that wasn't going to happen. And I really honestly believe I got lucky in a lot of ways looking yeah. back on it. Not to say that we didn't go through you know, a whole heck of a lot of medical Support at that time, you know, shots every day, and and all different interventions. But I believe having my kids, I remember even so, my daughter was born with a C section, but my my son, I had to be back for my son, so I had kind of the quote, normal delivery. And I had, (laughs) you know, all of the times that I had delivered my kids that way, you know, Mm -hmm. they took them away and said, I'm sorry, you know, you don't don't leave the hospital with him. But my son was like, you know, one of the perfect deliveries. I went in, they induced me, I was in labor for a little bit. And, you know, then I, was able to deliver this baby and the baby came out and started crying and it was dirty and disgusting and was put right on my chest and Mm -hmm. looked up at me screaming and never left the room. And I think at that moment I looked at the doctor and I said, we did it, you know, and that was probably, I was like, ah, you know, that was my number one right there
0: that must have been so incredibly emotional
1: yeah it was incredible and you know the best part actually now that you <laughs> you made me think of it was my mother and both my sisters were there watching. They were right there in the room. So it was this, this whole, you know, kind of full circle family moment. And that was before my sister had passed. And so when you look back on that and think about what a great, incredible experience that was for her. And for me, it was really, really a nice moment.
0: What a memory to have, to hold on to forever and keep Mm -hmm. that, you know, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: It has has to be the persistence, you know, Mm -hmm. you, when, especially when I hear myself say these things back (laughs) and think, you know, wow, I think it's just the pig headed, bull headed, keep going. And I, I have this thing where it's a blessing and a curse at times where I have this drive to be happy. I want to be happy more than I want to be sad. Yeah. And, you know, it's this thing that always makes me see the best in people sometimes when it's not there too, right. always just makes me pick myself up by my bootstraps and keep going. I just don't know any other way. That's probably a testament to my mother and how she raised me. Right, And it's that, that I think has just, I, I don't see any other path, but through it and up.
0: I love it. Speaking of success, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you?
1: Well, I love this question, you know, because we've talked a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. But for me, success is really knowing who you are, having the self awareness. And being able to be confident in that and comfortable in that and, and continue to make yourself better. So not, not failing, but continually pushing yourself to the point, maybe a failure because you're, you're working up and working through those. So success for me is making yourself better. And then also being really connected with the world around you being uh, genuinely having relationships and imparting um, what, you know, for other people and helping to make The world a better place, as silly as that sounds, it's true. You know, giving what you can back into the community and having that fuel you again, I think that is what creates that genuine happiness. And to me, success is a happy, connected brain. So, those things are really important to me. Love
0: it. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours?
1: Follow what's interesting to you. You know, there's a box that neuropsychology has been put in sometimes, or that any field really is put into and i've never been in that box i've always been outside that box it's my life is just trying to like square peg round whole things you know i just keep, <laughs> you know every skill i have i want to apply in a million different yeah. ways but i really think it's about making sure you follow what's interesting to you you don't have to do things the way they're supposed to be done or the way everyone else did them before you you mm-hmm. know do the things that feel good to you and that interest you and that you're good at that you can use to help people And I think that that's the best way to go when, again, your goal isn't just to become this professional. It is to become a professional that can help people and be happy and connected themselves.
0: It's okay to color outside the lines.
1: It is, isn't it?
0: I think it should be encouraged, actually.
1: (laughs) It's my favorite place to be, so I (laughs) can't. There you go.
0: (laughs) Sarah, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it?
1: Uh, I think it's about being connected. I know that's been a theme in our in our conversation mm-hmm. here. But any time in my life that I've gotten off the right path, it's because I wasn't connected to what I wanted or what felt good to me, or it was because I wasn't trying to genuinely connect with other people. If at any point I tried to use somebody to get ahead or get something I wanted, instead of thinking about that connection, my life kind of veered off. And so, you know, with different parts of my life, my life has changed in a number of different ways, even professionally. And I, you know, there was one point uh, that I was working, I was running a school for kids with Asperger's and ADHD and anything that kept kids out of a public school setting. And I was running a private school at that time. Actually, this was during one of the major school shootings as well. So there was a whole other layer and trying to keep kids safe and comfortable and developing all of these skills. It was a lot of pressure. And I had just shifted from doing that job to becoming a professor actually, and starting my own private practice. And at that Moment, my husband at the time decided to leave his job, just kind of walk out and leave his job. And so there was a lot of pressure on me at that point to be the sole breadwinner to manage the emotions, what was happening with him, what was happening Mm -hmm. with me, I had really young kids at the time. And at that point, I think I kind of got off that path of, I needed things, right? I needed to make sure I brought an income. I needed to build this practice that doesn't work. You know, what serves you better is how can I help this person that comes into my office, how, how do I connect? Maybe you're looking, maybe there is a win-win, but it's a win-win, not a win for you. Yeah. And so once I got back to, to basics and said, okay, wait a minute, let me just connect with my community. Let me connect with other providers. Let me be a part of a movement of helping people and of making sure my kids were okay. That's the better path to be back on. And, you know, that led to a lot of success in my professional life as much as it did personally. And so I think that was the big lesson is just Stay true to yourself and your path and try not to get fearful. Try not to veer off of that and and grab things from the universe. Make sure you're giving back mm-hmm. as well.
0: I mean, authenticity, right? But it is going to happen. You are going to veer off the path at times, but as long as you get back to that path and back to being authentic you, you'll be okay.
1: Yeah and I think sometimes like for me that was born from fear or from anxiety or from just really kind of you lose yourself a little bit there trying to to be everything to everyone. Yeah. But that's always been the solution for me each time that that's happened in my life where either I've gotten like that scared or fearful or or desperate on some level, you know, to come back to basics or something's happened in my life. Even when losing my sister and all these things, you come back to basics of connecting to yourself and connecting to the world. And that serves you well.
0: That's it. What's your personal motto?
1: You know, I was thinking about this. I think it would be kind of to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. You know, I just... I haven't known any other way mm-hmm. you know i used i describe it sometimes, and this was really key for me when I had you know when I lost my kids but you get out of bed or you don't. And yeah. for me, the, the, there hasn't really been a choice there. It's always been to get out of bed.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, I hope for me that that's always the way that I feel, you know, I've had some really low moments in my life and I can empathize and imagine people who can't get out of bed, but you know, I've said it more than once, you know, get out of bed or you don't. And I just don't see the other options. So I think yeah. for me, it's, it's get out of bed and move forward.
0: What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received?
1: So I had a mentor whose father was a, a bread maker. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about professional careers and doing assessments and things like that, he looked at me and he said, You just bake good bread. You know, mm-hmm. my father always said, You just bake good bread. And that has been the driving force for me professionally and personally. And the thing that keeps me on the path is just bake good bread, you know, bake good bread and people will come. That was the point. I love there, it. So. I love
0: that. That's brilliant.
1: It really has. It, it's run my entire life since then.
0: Words to live by for sure. Mm-hmm. What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: Empowerment to me is really helping other people reach whatever goals they have, reach their full potential. This was especially important for me when I was a professor. And I would watch other professors try to have people follow that line, right? That thing you're supposed to do. And for me, it was always about empowering them to make the decision. For themselves, what they want, give them as much information and and tell them all the different paths, but to really help them find them and help them find what brings them up. And I think that that's what empowerment is: is helping people reach the thing they want to reach, not the thing you want them to reach.
0: Beautiful. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the <laughs> okay, next group, any questions?
1: <laughs> Got my game face on.
0: All right. How would you describe yourself in one word?
1: Oh shoot! I wasn't ready. <laughs> Persistent.
0: (laughs) Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Money or fame?
1: I can't pick neither. Yeah, I really... This one's a real... I know. See, I'm terrible with these. I'm really a bad game player too. I should have warned you ahead of time. (laughs) My son always wants to play these games and I'm always like, Carter, I... I love you, but I'm really not a great game player. You know, because you know how I feel about this. I feel about success being like true happiness. Yeah. I guess it would be money, not fame. You know, it's not really for me yeah. about being known. It's, it's about contribution. So if okay. money is a contribution, I don't know. I know I've failed. Go ahead. Next <laughs>
0: <up>. <laughs> okay, Sarah, you're doing fine. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Connection. What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money?
1: Also, I think genuine relationships.
0: If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change?
1: I would change the focus on on money and on getting things. I think the focus should be on making yourself happy and connected and appreciating that that varies for everybody.
0: Okay. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> should ask my partner this question, <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't now. I'm running this. <laughs> Impatient. I am not patient. I like efficiency and effectiveness, as you said, and so I think uh, it is that I like to move very quickly.
0: The last book or podcast I listened to or read was
1: Matthew McConaughey's Greenlight, probably one of the best books I have listened to, and I would recommend listening to it, not reading it, because he he reads it and it is just phenomenal.
0: I have that audiobook; I will have to listen to it.
1: I can't recommend it enough. You talk about coloring outside the lines and getting somewhere in a different way and landing in such an incredible, he has such incredible self-awareness speaking of which, and, and just the lessons learned. I can't recommend it.
0: enough. I'm going to start that today then Sarah, thank you mm-hmm. for that push of oh. sitting there. Careful. Cause you'll be stuck. You're going to be stuck there until you're finished. So. <laughs> My favorite way to unwind is bath mom. Life is hard. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back Woo! to a regularly. <laughs> What's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I
1: think all of these things that have happened to me, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't choose them by any stretch of the imagination, but that coupled with my just kind of need to be happy, I would say, the mm-hmm. the desire to be that it has shaped who I am and it has shaped who I am as a parent. So I feel like that is that's going to be passed down a couple generations if I have anything to do with it anyway. And, um, (laughs) you know, and I, and I think that that has unexpectedly been probably the thing that shaped my life the most, instead of the things that were supposed to be the blessings, you know?
0: Yeah. What would you say is one of your biggest failures or let's call them life lessons or teachable moments, and what did you learn from
1: it? Favorite failure. You know, this is a tough one for me because my life has been a series of teachable moments, not necessarily to my own. Not to my <laughs> I would have, have asked. I think it is that series that I would say that has really done it. You know, you fail once and it's one thing, but for example, having children, you know, it, it, that felt like a failure in the second. Third time felt like a failure too. But, you know, when you succeed on the other side of that for a number of things, and it's happened to me professionally too. I've had a number of job changes or career moves that have have gone differently. And I think just seeing all of those as an opportunity has really shaped it. You know, I always say you can't really control what's going to happen to you. And actually the way that I landed on all of that is that I can't control the world. You know, if I If I could have shifted any of those things, if I could make my sister not die, if I could Mm -hmm. make the kids not die, if I could, you know, keep us all from getting sick, I would, but I don't have that kind of power. And that's been almost freeing to me because what I've just done is said, okay, I do the best I can. And then it's up to the universe. And so, you know, it's almost less pressure, not more at that point, because I just do everything in my power. And then I have to give up that power.
0: That's an incredible way to look at things, though, and especially going through what you've gone through. I mean, a lot of people would have just curled up and given up. So kudos to you for your strength and courage and resilience, Sarah.
1: Well, I think it's, again, it's probably to my mother, as you pointed out earlier, you know, that it is, it does come from that, that kind of thing, you know, I didn't seem like a choice to me at the time. And I think a lot of people going through a lot of difficult times, you know, we call it courageous and we call it strong, but Mm -hmm there really isn't much choice on some level, you know?
0: What would your friends or parents or siblings or even your closest friends list as... A couple of your best characteristics, would you say?
1: I think loyalty, you know, for me, I am, I love, and I love very fiercely. I have learned, you know, I Uh just, if you are in my pod, I will defend you till my dying breath. And Uh that doesn't mean I might not tell you what I think that you might have done, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, nobody else better (laughs) comments in there. And I really value Close relationships and true support—not the oh, it's not my place or it's not my time—but really being able to get in there and just have those deep, intimate relationships with friends and with family, I think, are really, really important to me. And you can't do that with everybody, you know. It's really—it's a lot of time and effort and energy and and emotional power to do Mm -hmm. that. But with those few people, I think that it—that's extremely important to me.
0: If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you?
1: Oh my goodness, we've talked about so much. I can't possibly think that you left out a question here.
0: All right, I'll take that. (laughs) Sarah, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Oh, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story about my 11 year old the other day because she had some issues with some friends of hers and she goes to camp and she is the same as I was at that age where. I thought I could handle everything and I knew what I was doing and and I didn't need anybody's help and I could do it all, you know, and I wanted to be older than I was. I wanted to be able to to be that thing and know that thing. And I sat with her yesterday and we talked a bit about how, when you're navigating relationships with friends, it's okay. You're going to fail. And I'm here to talk to you about those things, not mm-hmm. to tell her what to do, but to help guide her. I said, I've been an 11 year old. She said, mom, times have changed since you were 11. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I think I officially just became my mother. I cannot believe I just had that conversation. And I was like, not that much, honey, not that much. You know, you have a phone now that's maybe the difference But because it's such the same issues. Right. But looking at it from this side, I almost remember having a conversation with my mom about this, but so the long story short is what I said to her was that it's okay to be 11, you know, it's okay to be the age that you are and just enjoy it and not, not need to be older or need to be there or need to be to the next thing, you know, just be 11. And that would be the the advice I would give my younger self is it's okay to just be in that moment and play and try and fail and succeed and all those different things, but to not feel this need to push time faster because I, I definitely did that in my life.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing we would tell our kids as well as like, don't push, don't want to grow up too fast because believe me, it'll be here before you know it. And then you'll be wishing you're a kid again. So live in those years, enjoy those years and just, just be in them.
1: Yeah. And she is such an insightful nature. Same as me. One, you know, kind of thinking about can feel what yeah. people are feeling when she, when they walk in a room and wants to make everybody happy and, and hasn't really that, you know, that would actually be another superpower of mine would be, I I can sense emotion when I walk in a room and I could probably tell you everything that was happening without anybody speaking, yeah but it took a while to hone that skill. You know, I used to walk into a room and think everybody was mad at me or everybody yeah. was feeling that way about me. And I didn't realize that, no, I'm just picking up on other people's emotions. And sometimes it has nothing to do with me. And I don't know if that's the reason that she consistently, you know, feels like she needs to, to be older and be the thing for everyone. Or if that's the reason I did, but yeah, it would definitely be if I could just go back and say like, be ignorant here, you know, don't think about what you're supposed to do and just kind of do it and be there and have a nice time, just
0: be in it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Lastly, Sarah, if you were to deliver your last 30 seconds speech to the world, what would
1: that last 30 seconds sound like? I think it would really be about connection, communication, and managing emotions. Emotions are okay. I think we, in this world, assume emotions are bad, but emotions are good. You know, from a brain perspective, that's what tells you what to remember, what's important. You know, we can't remember every single thing that we do during the day. And if you think about the things you actually do remember, it's because it had some emotional value to you. So we don't want to not feel, we want to feel strongly. We want to feel truly and deeply. We just want to be able to use those feelings and that power for good instead of evil. We want to be able to identify our feeling and then make a decision about how we want to act from there. And so much of our world has been people who have strong feelings and them reacting maladaptively or inappropriately, yeah, <laughs> or just not being aware enough to be able to say, wait a minute, this is a defensive reaction, or this is a reaction to this or that. And so I really think that that 30 seconds would be about feeling deeply and truly and having enough insight to know what and why you feel that way, and then making decisions about those behaviors and being able to communicate those needs.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and learning about your personal struggles and experiences. Thank you for taking me along that journey with you and sharing that. And welcome to the Empowerography community. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you as part of this community and family. So I appreciate you taking the time to be here today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really wonderful.
0: Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dr. Sarah Allen. She's a pediatric neuropsychologist, a parent coach, an author, and America's Brain Gal. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you.